Welcome to Nothing Ventured, a podcast exploring the stories that make the incredible world of tech and venture tick. Join me, Arish Shah, as I speak to the founders, investors, and ecosystem operators trying to make a dent in the future. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nothing Ventured with me, Arish Shah. Today, I'm super excited to have with me Mariano Gonzalez Vasconcelos. Mariano is founder and general partner at MGV Capital Group, a technology fund investing in entrepreneurs building in the US and Mexico. His experience spans over 20 years in leading growth strategy initiatives for Fortune 500 companies, as well as PE and VC firms. On top of this, he has founded ventures across professional services, retail, technology, and gaming. Mariano brings global experience to the ventures he invests in and advisors, having worked in the US, UK, Mexico, Germany, Peru, Colombia, and South Korea. Mariano, it's great to have you here with me today. Welcome to the show. Paris, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure to be here with you. Amazing. So let's jump straight into it, right? The thing we celebrate most on this podcast is that entrepreneurial attitude that leads us to leap into new experiences throughout life. You raised MGV as an emerging fund manager almost 25 years into your working life. What drove you to raise this fund and why do it in the midst of the pandemic back in 2020? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that, that, that is interesting. The, the, the way I mean, the way I, I thought about it is this is something that I have planned to do for a long, long time. My, my background is in strategy consulting. I'm a computer systems engineer by trade, and I worked about 12 years with Boost and Company as part of their strategy consulting group. And that gave me exposure to working with the C-level suite of many organizations across across the world. And something that was always missing for me, even though I, I really liked strategy consulting, was the, the element of seeing things through, but more importantly, to be invested in the companies that I advise. I used to say that once in a while, the companies that we work for would actually listen and would actually implement the strategy, they will run the, the right initiatives, they would get rid of the bad apples, they would do everything to the T. And those times, I always, always wanted to invest, and, and you can't, right? Because it would be insider trading. So I always thought about, about uh, uh, bringing top strategy consulting to, to venture capital. What, one of my theses, and, and I know that the vast majority of my colleagues will disagree with me, is that there is not that much knowledge about strategy in venture capital. I, I think most uh, most PCs are one or two-time founders. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that's, that's great in, in terms of experience from an operational standpoint. But the way I, we like to think about, about ourselves is that we bring this expertise of, of having, you know, the equivalent of, of Bain, BCG, Boost, working working for, for, for startups, right? So those two things combined, plus the fact that I knew a lot of people who simply were not familiar with venture capital, uh, even though they should have been invested in. I mean, all of those stars aligned for me to say, you know what, I think this is the right time for me to create a consortium of successful business people who want to get into venture capital in a way that is easy to get into with with tremendous access and then for all of us to grow together. And why during the pandemic? Well, that that was a, that was a curveball, right? We we were actually planning on launching March of 2020. And yeah, COVID had different plans. So so we just waited a few months and then in September October we we finally launched 
That's incredible. I mean, the first thing that strikes me, someone as, as someone who is a bit of a generalist and likes getting into strategy himself, and, and obviously I, I have a sort of strategic CFO consultancy, it is incredibly frustrating not to be able to deploy into the businesses that we see. Some of them are incredible at, at both the very early stages, but also at later stages. So I can completely understand the urge to scratch that itch that you had back in the day. And and as far as the pandemic is concerned, yeah, I guess it's a curveball. You, you make your plans you you do as best as you can, but you've got to roll with the punches that come at you, right? Yeah. One of the positives of the pandemic, as you know, is the is the working from from anywhere, right? So we'll talk a little bit more about about our portfolio, but uh, but out of the twenty companies in which we have invested so far, I have only met two founders face to I mean real life, right? In face to face, and that was after the fact, after we invested. So I, I guess one of the benefits was a significant reduction in our travel budget. And so, so yeah, I mean, nowadays we had to adjust to, to, to the way that the, the world works today. Yeah, I guess for emerging funds and for smaller funds, that's going to be a, a massive cost. And it also obviously opens up the entire global uh, landscape in terms of investing. And I, 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 I find it quite strange or disturbing that other VCs aren't necessarily looking at the global perspective and they have very regional focus. I understand that maybe from a, you know, from an understanding or an experience perspective, but it is so easy, as you say now, to either recruit or hire in other geographies, but also to meet with founders in other geographies. You know, it, it is actually an incredible time to be in investing. With that said, there was $4.6 billion invested in LATAM in 2019. I think I saw relatively recently an article from the FT suggesting that that number had grown to sort of $15 billion in 2020 or 2021. But Mexico represented about 23%, almost 23% of the deal volume with Brazil accounting for over 50%. Now, bearing in mind that states like Texas, Washington, and New Jersey saw funding over 5 billion in 2021, there's obviously a way to go. But I'd love to understand more about where you see the promise in the Mexican or the, the LATAM ecosystem overall. And what's exciting, but under the radar? Yeah, absolutely. That, 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 I mean, the, the first, first of all, is when when we think about Mexico, we think not only about having the you know the access to all of the customer base in in Mexico, but but essentially as a beachhead to Latin America, right? And particularly all of the Spanish speaking countries in 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 Latin America. So so if you take that into account, then the the market is significantly larger. But to answer the the, the, the question more succinctly, I I, I mean. Right now, we're going through a perfect storm in Latin America in the sense that while it is true that the, la- that the vast majority of the population still on back and doesn't necessarily have access to financial services, on the other side, at least in Mexico, over 75, 76% of the population have mobile devices. So that creates a perfect storm for certain industries, particularly fintech, e-commerce, and then other, other, other industries. And the other thing is that... Uh, I think the pandemic actually accelerated, obviously, the, the need to, to, to work remotely, but also access to digital solutions. So as an example, when we invested in Plurk out of Guadalajara, which is a company that provides customized fringe benefits to, to, to organizations, I mean, their original thought was to focus on Mexico first. And the minute they actually turned on the switch, their first customers came out of Chile 
and Colombia. So they very quickly had to, you know, scramble to, to make sure that they adapted to, to, to serving those customers. But my point being is that when you look at the, the, the total market for, for Mexico, you truly need to, to think about Latin America. Now, given my background, since I'm originally from Mexico and twist my wife and all of my family and I did extensive work in, in the country, you know, I mean, there's some there are some cultural aspects of Latin America and Mexico in particular that are, are very important to consider when doing business there. So essentially, we're focusing in Mexico and the U.S. to take to, to leverage our, our knowledge and our network in those two regions. But we have invested in Argentina, in England, in Canada under the premise that the growth path for those companies goes through the U.S. or Mexico. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And obviously, given the substantial population base in, in Latin America overall, with, with, with obviously Mexico, Brazil, Argentina, Colombia being, you know, vast, vast countries, there is a huge opportunity, I think, both because there is a fragmented sort of population base, but there's also fragmented and, and highly sort of dispersed income base as well, right? So so you you have opportunities both at the, the kind of lowest end of the system where, you know, things like financial inclusion and access to services becomes really important, but you equally have, you know, fairly substantial luxury type opportunities. If you think about Tulum and and, and sort of the resorts out in, in Mexico or whatever, there are there are certainly opportunities to service both sides of of, of the, the quite vast population. So I think I always think about, you know, the global south as being a vastly underestimated and huge uh, and a huge opportunity for anyone that is operating. So I, I have no doubt that you'll see masses of success. And obviously with those sort of numbers in terms of funding, there is a huge upside still to be seen in terms of the amount of capital that, that might or could be deployed into these regions, right? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that is, that is fascinating for us when we are analyzing companies, particularly, let's say, Mexican-based companies, is what is the overall strategy for, for them to, to grow? That, that's something that we do like to see. We like to understand from, from, from the founders because you have multiple multiple ways to go about it, right? You can you can focus on growing across industry within the same industry. You can focus on expanding throughout Latin America, or you can focus on, or you can think about expanding to the Latin customer base in the U.S., right? Texas, Florida, California. So, so that is a conversation that, that 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 we like to have all the time to truly understand the landscape for the companies, not only in the immediate future, but uh, but the young. Amazing. We, we've spoken a lot on this podcast about how to get more funding into the hands of founders that come from diverse ethnic or cultural backgrounds. What's your take on this? Is it a problem or an opportunity? And I guess that there may be a, a crossover between both of those, but it'd be really incredible to get your perspective on where things have been and where you see them going. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, it's, it's both, right? I mean, it is a problem because because it is not fair, right? In the sense that uh, the talent is truly distributed, but access to to opportunities is not. So, so there's tremendous talent across the world and certainly in Latin America that only now are beginning to, to have significantly more exposure and access to, to venture capital. If, you, if, if, we, if we talked about seed stage investing in Mexico five years ago, and again, some of my colleagues might disagree, but it, it, it would be inexistent. And even today, right? I mean, most of the, the local VC firms in, in Mexico are, are conservative in nature. There are more more, you know, Series A plus, but 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 I guess get, getting back to, to to the central point is it is a problem, but it is also an opportunity. And and if if the vast majority of VCs are comfortable investing only following the same pattern of you know the the usual 
white male coming out of Harvard and Stanford, by all means, right? I mean, it's, it's, they can continue doing that. And, and the way we, we think about it and that is we'll be happy to pick up the, the money that they left on the table, right? Because by being open to talking to everybody and essentially not requiring warm introductions, all of a sudden you get a deal flow that is that is distinct, right, and and, and unique. And today everybody talks about having proprietary deal, deal flow. I mean, I, I think people have used the, the phrase, but what is true is that you want to have access to, to a deal flow that is different, right, based on what you bring to the table, based on how open you are, to talking to folks, so 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 from that standpoint, I think that uh, that part of solving the problem starts with the LPs themselves, right? So to the extent that we bring more diverse LPs to the table, then naturally that that results in more diverse fund managers and then more access to 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 underserved founders. I, I I truly believe that, and that's why when I talked about creating this consortium of successful business people who had previously not had access to venture capital, that, that's essentially what that creates, right? It's creating generational wealth, not only for the founders, but also for, for, for the investors. And naturally, since there are people who had not had access to venture capital before, they bring with them access to deal flow that that you know that 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 otherwise or other people do not have access to. Yeah, so I think there are two really critical points there. One, I've, I think I've talked about quite a lot on Twitter, as have you and others. But you know, if you don't solve the problem at LP level, you don't solve the problem. So you need diverse LPs funding diverse GPs funding diverse founders who bring on diverse teams. And once those founders and teams exit, they recycle the capital and, and hopefully grow grow that sort of pot and that pie and and the number of diverse sort of people in in the ecosystem. It's interesting. I was just I was just gonna say that we saw it yesterday on Twitter, right? With the, or or the day before with the fiasco from from Bank Capital Crypto. I actually have the highest respect for Bank Capital. I used to do due diligence for them, a great organization. But the fact that that, that you know that group or that that organization goes through months and months of planning in launching this this new division and they proudly present their seven dudes that are going to be leading this division the day where we celebrate international women's day it's just i mean it's, it's not it's not that it was a mess up from pr for that for just that day right the way to truly think about it is obviously if you don't have diversity within your organization, you don't see these types of things, right? And if you extrapolate that to deal flow, then all of a sudden you do not get access to to deal flow from people who might be different from you or who might not have access to to be introduced to you with a warm introduction, right? So 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 again, I mean, I, there's there's a lot of work to be done in, in that in that sense, but uh, but in the meantime, the ones those of us who who understand, you know, the opportunity will, will be glad to 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 benefit from it and, and and in doing so help other people. Yeah, I interestingly, I think we were both interrupting each other with exactly the same <laughs> with the exactly the same statement or comment on on that Bain Capital Crypto Fund. And I think what was what was very interesting from I think sitting by as as a bit of an observer of over it and and I agree obviously Bain Capital is a very well respected firm is just the slight tone deafness, the slight kind of lack of appreciation of when they're announcing it, how they're announcing it. And also I think in the tweet itself and I I forgot. I forgot uh, the guy's name who who did tweet it out. 
but he talked about how privileged he was to introduce this group of, you know, seven, eight males, I think two Asians in, in the team, which was obviously a, a great step forward, but still maybe not a step forward enough. And, and it just talks to uh, when you see teams like that being announced by, by large firms as someone who comes from, you know, diverse ethnic background myself and, and certainly having spoken to other women who saw that post and others like it, it, it just, it, it puts you off because we all know that you hire people that quote unquote look like you and you tend to have empathy with people that, that you, you know, that you see that come from a similar background. And it just speaks volumes about how the industry kind of sees itself and, and who the industry sees within itself. Now, with that said, a crypto fund today, given some of the, the mess that's going on in crypto as well, you know, maybe that was not that surprising, but it, it, it I think it was a very poignant point, mainly because of the day it was announced on. I think if it had been announced on any other day, it would have probably flown a little bit more under the radar, but obviously on International Women's Day. Yeah, it's just a microcosm of how that organization and the organizations like them function internally, right? Due to the lack of diversity throughout the ranks, period. Yeah, 100%. So look, move, moving on to the fund. So MGV has a, a fairly broad thesis. You invest across fintech, consumer and enterprise tech. I mean, what are you looking for specifically in the ventures you invest in? What do they need to have to have proven for you to consider investing? Is it team traction tech? Is it something else altogether? Is it the value that you can add that's more important? Or how do you look at that? I guess that I want to, to start first by by addressing the, 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 the why. Why such a broad thesis, right? And, and this is one, one of those times where I thought about it, right? And, and once in a while, you know, potential LPs might tell me, hey, you should be focusing only on Mexico or only in fintech or only in that. And, and my response, and, and I try as hard as I can not to come across as, as, as arrogant, but it's, but it's like, yeah, I, I understand that for somebody who might be 22, 23, 24, right? But I have 16, 20 years of experience precisely serving companies in those three verticals. And those are the ones that are not only growing exponentially, but also within Mexico and Latin America. Two of them are the ones who are driving the vast, the vast majority of the growth. So that's the reason why, why we, we serve those, those three verticals. But, but answering your question, and I know it sounds cliche, but it, it is true. At least it is for us. We invest in, in the team, right? But, but let me talk a little bit about that. So what I, what I look for is, what we look for, sorry, is people who are talented, passionate, hungry for success, but they need to be, they need to be, they need to have a high level of emotional intelligence. We need to make sure that, that, that they are people who we can work with. We understand that the vast majority of the companies that become successful pivot uh, at certain point. And, and that requires a certain type of individual who is willing to listen, who is willing to experiment, and who is willing to change her or his mind. And I tell you, once in a while, we meet people who are brilliant, but you can tell that basically they don't see you as as a, as a peer, and I don't want anybody to see me as a, you know as a, as as the the they the know it all because I have gray hair. No, I, I just I want everybody to to be to be my peer when we talk about about overall strategy. So those are the things that are very important for us. Now, if you look across our portfolio, the distinctive or the unifying element across all the companies is that a all of them are based on on uh, they have a digital backbone from which to scale rapidly. But secondly, every single one of them is 
attacking the market or the industry in a way that is unique. It's a different strategy. It's, it's a new way to think about solving a problem. So in a way that makes us believe that if everything goes well, then this could be a, a major success. So yes, team and then traction. And traction can be defined multiple ways. For us is what have you accomplished with the limited resources that you have had until now? And there I have to there I have to assess people differently. If it is an underserved founder who maybe she has been bootstrapping, I'm not going to to assess her in the same way that I would, you know, a legacy kid from from Stanford, right? So I that, that, that's that's something that we look at carefully. That so yeah. So to me, those are the, the the main things that we that we look for in our in our founders and and of course in the in the companies that they that they that they're building. Of course, you know, being part of a growing market that, that has the potential to grow exponentially. I don't mention that uh, from the get-go because it is table stakes. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to quit recording this podcast because every, every investor now that I've spoken to has said almost precisely the same thing. The first thing is always the team. And I think that is why potentially a lot of these biases, as we just said, have, have arisen over time and why it's really important to extract yourself from, from those biases and really look at e- each sort of team and an individual as fresh. And I think one of the other things that you said that's that's really important, I think is, you know, you talked about it as seeing everyone as a peer. I think it's that element of coachability of being able to listen to the voices in the room without necessarily taking, you know, I, I, I've i met fa- I've met founders who listen to everyone and can't make a decision. And I've met founders who won't listen to anyone and do whatever they want. I think the best founders are the ones that can listen to the advice that's in the room around them and make a decision, taking into account all of that advice without having to having to listen to it all or to ignore it all. Yeah, there, there was a tweet. You and I spent quite a quite a bit of time on Twitter, like like a lot of our peers. And there was a tweet maybe a, a few days ago, and somebody was saying something to the extent of if you have if you're a seed investor and you have less than ten percent of the of the equity in the company, you don't get a word, right? So so when we get to Series A, shut up and just just sign in minutes. You don't get to think about what to do. That is precisely the type of founder that I would never work with because they, 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 it shows a tremendous lack of, 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 of understanding of how business is conducted. Mind you, they might be successful, right? There's several several examples of successful people who then end up like, like the CEO from Betterment and, and people like that, right? But, but my point being is, no, when you're choosing a part, when you're choosing an investor, you're choosing a partner somebody that you can go to and and ideally they sh- they should help us they should help you based on on what they bring to the table it could be marketing experience it could be access to to different networks it could be strategy advice operation support and so on and so forth ultimately we're looking for for CEOs who can listen take all the information and finally make a decision on their own but if you are set on this notion that you know it all then good luck to you. Good luck to you, but you're not the type of founder that, that we that we look for. Yeah, I think that's very powerful and and I've certainly found the same both in in founders that I've worked with as well as you know the small number of sort of angel investments that I've I've been making of late. And I think the other thing that it's also worth kind of reflecting on, and I think I may have read that same tweet, is at the end of the day, you can take 
dumb money or you can take smart money. And I and I think if you are smart, you'll take the smart money because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how often you've built, how often you've you know how, what experience you've had, how often you've built, who you're building with, building it with, etc. There's always going to be a curveball, right? There's always going to be a reason why at some stage you are going to need to lean on either an investor or an advisor or part of your team in a way that you maybe haven't had to ever before. And I think burning those bridges, there is no there is no process by which you know as you transition from a seed to a Series A business, there it isn't sort of a, a static step up. It's a it, it is a process, right? So there isn't there there isn't any kind of metric that suddenly says, hey, you've gone from seed to Series A other than raising the capital. Therefore, X Y Z investors' advice or advisors' advice is no longer valid. That's just crazy. Yeah, and another way to think about it is is if you go through through your career raising mostly dumb money, that might be a reflection on you being a dumb CEO, right? So no matter how smart you think you are. So again, I mean, to me, and maybe this is just a function of me having hired literally hundreds of people as part of Goose and Company, is it's like, you know, having emotional intelligence is, is just, is paramount. If everything else is perfect with the business, we're, we're not going to be your partners. Amazing. That, I think that's, uh, that's incredibly, uh, incredibly powerful. And I think it's also very important to have as, as an investor to have that strength of conviction in the sort of founders you want to partner with. And, and that's only going to lead to positive outcomes for both you and the founders. And, and I guess what, one final question just before we wrap up is, you know, for founders looking to, to launch or expand into Mexico or LATAM for that matter, what advice would you give to them? Well, first of all, to, to truly understand that Latin America is a, is a beast on its own, but Mexico in particular has a lot of cultural, political, and economic e- issues that, that you need to be aware of. So something that, that, that always gives me pause or concern is when I see a company that raises funds and it has a bunch of excited U.S.-based investors in the round, but absolutely no no local VC or not even a strong angel that knows the, 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 the Mexican business environment. That, that to me is a huge red flag. I have seen many companies falter for doing that. So, so, so my, my advice is as you are raising your your smart money make make sure that you have local support and, and there's 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 quite a few from local VC players in 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 Mexico some of them are are beginning to play in earlier stages but yeah cer- certainly that is something that you need to be hundred percent on top of yeah I think that goes for operating as well as investing right so we we spoke to Cleo Sham who's currently an investor with Stride Stride VC a partner at Stride VC but is also was previously head of ops for Uber in China and then across EMEA. So she was head of ops at Uber when they exited to Didi Shushing. And, you know, one of the things she said was you cannot operate in China. And this goes for anywhere in the world, I, I, I would say. You cannot operate in any of these regions or any of these places without having significant geographical knowledge or specific knowledge to the geography. And to your point, Mexico is not Colombia, is not Argentina. Having lived a while in, in Argentina and knowing lots of people from, uh, from South America, to make the mistake of thinking that 
that you know one is as the other is is well is tantamount to, to to kind of a death knell for a company and and to your point if you have the right investors on board with the local knowledge as well as the right you know operating team with the local knowledge you're going to set yourself up for a lot more success than if you go in there blind or or with the arrogance of assuming that whatever worked in San Francisco or London or even Spain for that matter is going to work in in Mexico or Latam. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly in fintech, with the with the fintech laws in Mexico, it is amazing how how you know every other week we read about our companies being sanctioned or fined, I should say, for for the dumbest things, right? I mean, things that any local investor, any local angel will, will tell you that it is something that you cannot do, right? And uh, but 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 again, it's it's a uh, you know, I mean, sometimes sometimes people think that that investing in Mexico or Colombia is 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 uh, to your point is similar. It's, it's like into the thinking that investing in, in in England and the U.S. is exactly the same. When, when there's so many things that are that are different, starting with the regulation of regulation landscape. So, Mariano, thank you so much for your time. It's been absolutely incredible having you here with me on the podcast today. For our listeners, where can they find you? Are you on Twitter? Are you on LinkedIn? Where's the best place for them to look for you online? Easiest way to, to find to get a hold of me is on Twitter at MGV underscore VC, Mariano Gonzalez, and at MGV underscore VC. My DMs are open. We do not believe in warm introductions. Anyone can have access to, to us. If you access our website at mgvcapitalgroup.com, our emails are public, so you, you can you can always reach out to us. Thanks for listening to Nothing Ventured, an Emerge One production. Follow us on social and at nothingventured.tech to make sure you never miss another episode. If you enjoyed this conversation, you can support us by giving us five stars on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. We love to hear from our listeners to understand the topics and guests that they'd like to hear about and from most. Drop us a message via the links in the show notes. And thanks again for your support.